Chapter Seventeen of Ravensdene Court by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Humphrey de Nathville. In order to arrive at a proper understanding of the peculiar circumstances and position in which Miss Raven and myself very shortly found ourselves placed, it is necessary to give some information as to the geographical situation of the wood into which we plunged more i think out of a mingled feeling of curiosity and mystery than of anything else we had then walked several miles from ravensdene court in a northerly direction but instead of keeping to the direct line of the cliffs and headlands we had followed an inland track along the moors which however was never at any point of its tortuous way more than a mile from the coast the last mile or two of this had been through absolute solitudes save for a lonely farmstead or shepherd's cottage seen far off on the rising ground further inland we had not seen a sign of human habitation nor that afternoon did we see any sail on the broad stretch of sea at our right nor even the smoke trail of any passing steamer on the horizon yet the place we now approached seemed even more solitary we came to a sort of ravine, a deep fissure in the line of the land, on the south side of which lay the wood of ancient oak, of which I have spoken. Beyond it, on the northern side, the further edge of this ravine rose steeply, masses of scarred limestone jutting out of its escarpments. It seemed to me that at the foot of the wood, and in the deepest part of this natural declension, there would be a burn, a stream, that ran downwards from the moor to the sea i think we had some idea of getting down to this following its course to the outlet on the beach and returning homeward by way of the sands the wood into which we made our way was well-nigh impregnable it seemed to me that for age upon age its undergrowth had run riot untrimmed unchecked until at last it had become a matted growth of interwoven strangely twisted boughs and tendrils it was only by turning in first one then another direction through it that we made any progress in the downward direction we desired sometimes it was a matter of forcing one's way between the thickly twisted obstacles we exchanged laughing remarks about our having found the forest primeval before long each was plentifully adorned with scratches and tears all around us the silence was intense there was no singing of birds nor humming of insects in that wood but more than once we came across bones the whitened skeletons of animals that had sought these shades and died there or had been dragged into them and torn to pieces by their fellow beasts altogether there was an atmosphere of eeriness and gloom in that wood and i began more for my companion's sake than my own to long for a glimpse of some outlet a sight of the sunlit sea beyond and for the murmur of the burn which i felt sure ran rippling coastwards beneath the fringes of this almost impassable thicket and then at the end of quite half an hour's struggling borne i must say by miss raven with the truly sporting spirit which was a part of her general character a sudden exclamation from her as she pushed her way through a clump of wilding a little in advance of me caused me to look ahead there's some building just in front of us she said see grey stones a ruin i looked in the direction she indicated 
and through the interstices of the thickly-leaved branches, just then prodigal of their first spring foliage, saw, as she said, a grey wall, venerable and time-stained, rising in front. I could see the topmost stones, a sort of broken parapet, ivy clustering about it, and beneath the green of the ivy, a fragment of some ornamentation and the cavernous gloom of a window-place from which glass and tracery had long since gone. "'That's something to make for, anyway,' I said. "'Some old tower or other. Yet I don't remember anything of the sort marked on the maps.' We pushed forward and came out on a little clearing. Immediately in front of us stood the masonry of which we had caught glimpses. A low, squat, square tower, some forty feet in height, ruinous as to the most part, but having the side facing us nearly perfect, and still boasting a fine old doorway, which I sat down as of Norman architecture. North of this lay a mass of fallen masonry, a long line of grass-grown, weed-encumbered stone, which was evidently the ruin of a wall. Here and there in the clearing were similar, smaller masses. Rank weed, bramble-bush, beds of nettles, encumbered the whole place. It was a scene of ruin and desolation, but a mere glance was sufficient to show me that we had come by accident on a once sacred spot. "'Why this,' said I, as we paused at the edge of the wood, "'this is the ruin of some ancient church, or perhaps of a religious house. Look at the niche there above the arch of the door. There's been an image in that, and at the general run of the stone lying about. Certainly this is an old church. Why have we never heard of it?' "'Utterly forgotten, I should think,' said Miss Raven. "'It must be a long time since there were people about here to come to it.' probably a village down on the coast now swept away i remarked but we must look this place out in the local books meanwhile let's explore it we began to look about the clearing the tower was almost gone as to three sides of it the fourth was fairly intact a line of fallen masonry lay to the north and was continued a little on the east where it rose into a higher ivy-covered mass with this again was another, less obvious line, similar in plan, and also covered with unchecked growth. Within that the uneven surface of the ground was thickly encumbered with rank weeds, beds of thistle, beds of nettle, and a plenitude of bramble and gorse. In one place towards the eastern mass of overgrown wall, a great clump of gorse had grown to such a height and thickness as to form an impenetrable screen and peering and prying about, suddenly we came, between this screen and the foot of the tower, on signs of great slabs of stone, over the edges of which the coarse grass had grown, and whose surfaces were thickly encumbered with moss and lichen. "'Gravestones,' said Miss Raven, "'but I suppose they're quite worn and illegible.' I sat down on my knees at one of the slabs, less encumbered than the others, and began to tear away the grass and weed. There was a rich, thick carpet of moss on it, and a fringe of grey, clinging lichen, but by the aid of a stout pocket-knife I forced it away, and laid bare a considerable surface of the upper half of the stone. And now that the moss, which had formed a sort of protecting cover, was removed, we saw lettering, worn and smoothed at its edges, in common with the rest of the slab, 
but still to be made out with a little patience. There may be, probably is, a certain density in me, a slowness of intuition and perception, but it is the fact that at this time, and for some minutes later, I had not the faintest suspicion that we had accidentally lighted upon something connected with the mystery of Salter Quick. All I thought of, I think, just then, was that we had come across some old relic of antiquity, the church of some coast hamlet or village, which had long been left to the ruinous work of time, and my only immediate interest was in endeavouring to decipher the half-worn-out inscription on the stone by which I was kneeling. While my companion stood by me, watching with eager attention, I scraped out the earth and moss and lichen from the lettering. Fortunately, it had been deeply incised in the stone, a hard and durable sort, and much of it remained legible once the rubbish had been cleared from it. Hic jacet dominus, Humphrey de Nathville, quand vicari huius, etlie qui obeit, anno dei, M-C-C-C-C-X-I-X. Beneath these lines were two or three others, presumably words of scripture, which had evidently become worn away before the moss spread its protecting carpet over the others. But we had learned something. There we are, said I, regarding the result of my labours with proud satisfaction. There it runs. Here lies the Lord, or Master, Humphrey de Nathville, sometime vicar of this church, who died in the year of our Lord, one thousand four hundred and nineteen, nearly six hundred years ago. A good find! Splendid! exclaimed Miss Raven, already excited to enthusiasm by these antiquarian discoveries. I wonder if there are inscriptions on the other tombs. No doubt, I ascended, and perhaps some or things of interest on this fallen masonry. This place is well worth careful examination, and I'm wondering how it is I haven't come across any reference to it in the local books. But to be sure, I haven't read them very fully or carefully. Mr. Cazalet may know of it. We shall have something to tell him. We began to look round again. I wandered into the base of the tower. Miss Raven began to explore the weed-choked ground towards the east end. Suddenly I heard a sharp, startled exclamation from her, Turning, I saw her standing by the great clump of overgrown gorse of which I have already spoken. She glanced at me, then at something behind the gorse. "'What is it?' I asked. Unconsciously she lowered her voice, at the same time glancing half-nervously at the thick undergrowth of the wood. "'Come here,' she said. "'Come!' I went across the weed-grown surface to her side. She pointed behind the gorse-bush. "'Look there,' she whispered. I knew, as soon as I looked, that we were not alone in that wild, solitary-seeming spot, that there were human ears listening and human eyes watching, that we were probably in danger. There, behind the yellow-starred clump of green, was what at first sight appeared to be a newly opened grave, but was in reality a freshly dug excavation. A heap of soil and stone, just flung out, lay by it. On this some hand had flung down a mattock, near it rested a pick. And suddenly, as by a heaven-sent inspiration, 
I saw things. We had stumbled on the graveyard which Salter Quick had wished to find. Denathville and Netherfield were identical terms which had got mixed up in his uneducated mind. Here the missing treasure was buried, and we had walked into this utterly deserted spot to interrupt what and who oh i say she cried who who are these these men her hand moved instinctively towards my arm as she spoke and as i drew it within my grasp i felt that she was trembling a little and in that same instant turning quickly in the direction she indicated i became aware of the presence of two men who had quietly stepped out from the shelter of the high undergrowth on the landward side of the clearing and stood silently watching us they were attired in something of the fashion of seamen in rough trousers and jerseys but i saw at first glance that they were not common men indeed i saw more and realized with a sickening feeling of apprehension that our wandering into that place had brought us face to face with danger one of the two a tallish slender-built good-looking man not at all unpleasant to look on if it had not been for a certain sinister and cold expression of eye and mouth i recognized as a stranger whom i had noticed at the coroner's inquest on salter quick and had then taken for some gentleman of the neighbourhood the other i felt sure was netherfield baxter there was the golden-brown beard of which fish had told me and scarterfield there too was the half-hidden scar on the left cheek i had no doubt whatever that miss raven and myself were in the hands of the two men who had bought the blanche flower from jallanby the shipbroker of hull the four of us stood steadily gazing at each other for what seemed to be a long and to me a painful minute then the man whom i took to be baxter moved a little nearer to us his companion hands in pockets but watchful enough lounged after him well sir said baxter lifting his cap as he glanced at miss raven don't think me too abrupt nor intentionally rude if i ask you what you and this young lady are doing here his voice was that of a man of education and even of refinement and his tone polite enough there was something of apology in it but it was also sharp business-like compelling i saw at once that this was a man whose character was essentially matter-of-fact and who would not allow himself to stick at trifles and i judged it best to be plain in my answer if you really want to know i replied we are here by sheer accident exploring the wood for the mere fun of the thing we chanced upon these ruins and have been examining them that's all you didn't come here with any set purpose he asked looking from one to the other you weren't seeking this place certainly not said i we hadn't the faintest notion that such a place was to be found but here it is anyway he said and there you are in the possession of the knowledge of it and so you'll excuse me i must ask a question who are you tourists or do you live hereabouts the other man made a remark under his breath in some foreign language eyeing me the while and baxter spoke again watching me i think you at any rate are a resident he said my friend has seen you before in these parts i have seen him i said unthinkingly 
I saw him amongst the people at Salter Quick's inquest. The faintest shadow of an understanding glance passed between the two men, and Baxter's face grew stern. Just so, he remarked. That makes it all the more necessary to repeat my question. Who are you both? My name is Middlebrook, if you must know, I answered, and I am not a resident of these parts. I am visiting here. As for this lady, she is Miss Raven, the niece of Mr. Francis Raven, of Ravensdean Court, and really— He waved his hand, as if to deprecate any remonstrance or threat on my part, and bowed as politely to my companion as if I had just given him a formal introduction to her. "'No harm shall come to you, Miss Raven,' he said, with evidently honest assurance. "'None whatever.' "'Nor to Mr. Middlebrook either, I should hope,' exclaimed Miss Raven, almost indignantly. He smiled, showing a set of very white, strong teeth. "'That depends on Mr. Middlebrook,' he said. "'If Mr. Middlebrook behaves like a good and reasonable boy—' "'Mr. Middlebrook,' he went on, interrupting himself, and turning on me with a direct look, "'a plain question. Are you armed?' "'Armed?' I retorted scornfully. Do you think I carry a revolver on an innocent country stroll? We do, he answered with another smile. You see, we don't know with whom we may meet. It was a million to one, perhaps more, against our meeting anybody this afternoon, yet we've met you. We are sorry to have interrupted you, I said, not without a touch of satirical meaning. We won't interrupt any longer if you will permit us to say good-bye. I mentioned to Miss Raven to follow me, and made to move, but Baxter laughed a little and shook his head. "'I'm not sure that we can allow that just yet,' he said. "'It is unfortunate. I offer a thousand apologies to Miss Raven, but business is business, and—' "'Do you mean to tell me that you intend to interfere with our movements just because you chance to find us here?' I demanded. "'If so—' "'Don't let us quarrel or get excited,' he said, with another wave of his hand. "'I have said that no harm shall come to you. A little temporary inconvenience, perhaps, but—however, excuse me for a moment.' He stepped back to his companion. Together they began to whisper, occasionally glancing at us. "'What does he mean?' murmured Miss Raven. "'Do they want to keep us here?' "'I don't know what they intend,' I said, but don't be afraid.' "'I'm not afraid,' she answered. "'Only I've a pretty good idea of who it is that we've come across, and so have you.' "'Yes,' I replied. "'Unfortunately, I have. And we're at their mercy. There's nothing for it but to obey, I think.' Baxter suddenly turned back to us. It was clear that his mind was made up. "'Miss Raven, Mr. Middlebrook,' he said. "'I'm sorry, but we can't let you go.' The fact is, you've had the bad luck to light on a certain affair of ours, about which we can't take any chances. We have a yacht lying outside here. You'll have to go with us on board and remain there for a day or two. I assure you, no harm shall come to either of you. And, as we want to get on with our work here, will you please to come now? We went silently. There was nothing else to do. In a similar silence they led us through the rest of the wood, along the side of the stream which I had expected to find there, 
and to a small boat that lay hidden by the mouth of the creek. As they rowed us away in it and rounded a spit of land, we saw the yacht lying under a bluff of the cliffs. Ten minutes stiff pulling brought us alongside, and for a moment, as I glanced up at her rail, I saw the yellow face of a Chinaman looking down on us. Then it vanished. End of chapter 17